What are you anticipating seeing, you know, amongst the New Zealand teams, given you've, you've given all that about the All Blacks? Oh, just so many good young players, mate. I don't know how you do it there. Oh, I do, because you've got three of the biggest uh, academies in the world. Fiji, Samara and Tonga. They're not bad. Oh, we were waiting oh, for it. I was waiting for it. G'day, good evening, welcome to the Drops kickoff for another week, and I am, I'm clear, I'm I'm happy, I'm, I have no skin in a fight, I'm just happy to be just enjoying rugby as a pure neutral. It is quarterfinals week at the Rugby World Cup, the pools have finished, Australia's death warrant has been signed, we are out, we're out of here, we're going home. It's a disaster. It's a complete disaster. But I, you know what? I'm starting this week fresh. I'm starting the quarterfinals fresh because there are eight games left of Rugby World Cup 2023, and I'm really excited to see how they are, uh, how those games go, and who is the champion that's going to appear at the end of it. Fresh minds, thinking, thinking in a fresh way. I'm joined, of course, once again from over in France, Nathan Williamson, who looks fresher every week. How are we, mate? Yeah, you could say that. Um... I mean, I'm all right. I'm, again, learning to sort of deal with the post Wallabies fallout. I mean, they gave us hope for a solid 15 minutes there, but Portugal <laughs> would produce even more of a miracle than, that, than what they did. But uh, it's been good to kind of, um, I'm in Marseille, sort of taking it all in, preparing for a couple, what's going to be four really good quarterfinals this weekend. So I can't wait. I was also going to say, like, after last week's podcast with uh, with Carl, we were going to be, and you were saying, like, nah, no way, no way Portugal are going to win this game. I've got to stop having faith that, that, that Portugal are going to win a game. And then, of course, they go and win it in typical fashion. Honestly, yeah, we'll, we'll get into it later, but it's it's so classic Australian rugby, it's not funny. It's it's so classic dropped kickoff that we the the time that we predict it's, that it's not going to go the other way, it actually does. It's the world... It's the world that we live in. But uh, our second guest joining us once again is another one of the Gaga stalwarts. It's the one and only happy man himself. Mate, welcome from beautiful Queensland. Thank you, gentlemen. Lovely to be on board. Looking forward to uh, getting into it and enjoying the next couple of weeks uh, with no expectations. Yeah, isn't it nice? It's lovely. Just it's... enjoy the game. Yeah, just you, you can just enjoy. I think the most entertaining, I was, I was chatting with... A few guys beforehand, and and Nick Hartman and I have often talked about one of the funnest nights we've ever had was the 2019 World Cup final, and we were at the clock in Sydney, um, and it was filled with lots of poms and lots of sappers, and we and we had picked out a perfect spot, so we just were a menace in in the, just because we had no skin in the, and it was one of the most entertaining matches of rugby that we'd ever seen. Uh, and just I love I can't wait to be a neutral and just w- enjoy rugby for rugby's sake. It's the best. Anyway, let's talk. The final week of pools just happened. We'll, I'll just quickly dive through it all and then we're going to dig into uh, our thoughts and emotions on that before talking about quarterfinal predictions. Starting off in pool A, of course, New Zealand uh, demolished Uruguay 73-0 uh, in a game that I think really didn't reflect how well Uruguay played. It was a, it was actually quite a solid match. Uh, France, meanwhile, demolished Italy 60-7 to, to book their place. Uh, in the quarterfinals, which sees France and New Zealand go through in, in Pool A. Pool B, Ireland overcame a very strong, uh, overcame Scotland to to win 36-14 uh, in their in their clash there. Whereas Tong- and Tonga knocked over um, Romania uh, 45-24 to see Ireland and South Africa go through, and also dispel all of the conspiracy theories that were going around that. Ireland was in cahoots with Scotland to knock the Springboks out, which would have been amazing if it was true, and I would have absolutely loved it. Uh, Pool C, Wales and Fiji, of course. We need we don't need to talk about this one anymore. Uh, Wales, of course, demolishing Georgia, 43 to 19, and then of course probably the match of the round. I think we'll we'll all come and talk about, which is Portugal beating Fiji, 23 24. But because of the losing bonus point, Fiji go through and deny the Wallabies a quarterfinals berth. And then finally, Pool D. Uh, England get out of jail, I think it's fair to say. They get out of jail 18-17 against a, a fast-finishing Samoan side. And then Argentina won 27-39 over Japan uh, to book their place in the quarterfinals. Gentlemen, what a fascinating final week to cap off what's been a fascinating pool series. Happy man, I'll throw to you first. How do we feel so far? Look, I thought it was a lovely, lovely weekend of rugby to watch because you got the 
out of all of those games, you got to see a lot of different ways to crack the egg, you know, different ways to make the omelette. You saw different teams playing in different ways. And it's the thing that actually makes you most enjoy the game so much. You know, some guys, some teams decided they were, they, they want to be, their identity is set piece and they want to play in that way and go set piece to set piece. Other guys want to chuck it around. You just got to love the ambition that the uh, South Americans played with across the board, even though they really didn't get the results. Um, and for mine, I think the biggest disappointments obviously outside of Australia in the whole World Cup are probably Italy, uh, who, you know, really just pack the bags. They're eating pasta three weeks into, two weeks into the tournament. <laughs> and the Georgians, can you imagine the odds you could have gotten on Georgia oh, finishing last in that pool yeah. before the World Cup? Uh, yeah. Who saw, who saw that coming? And on top of it, like, there was a lot of games that didn't play too bad. Like to finish with not a single win and finishing dead last in Pool C, yeah, I definitely didn't see that one coming. I thought they were at least a, a shoe in for third. My thoughts mm. initially going in because they were looking so good. Nathan, are we surprised? There's some surprising results from this uh, from this World Cup. I think there's the whole, there's been the whole discussion around making sure tier two teams get more games, uh, just in general against higher levels of competition. Surely this World Cup more than anything proves that with these results, right? Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. Just the, the, while some results might not have gone their way, like you still have the sort of 70 and 80 point blowouts in some regards, like, like the New Zealand game and the France game, but there was enough from those lower sort of your Tongas, your, even your sort of Japan's, these type of nations that really sort of shown that they can kind of match it with the best. Like Japan against Argentina, I thought was a really good game as well. And you all of a sudden have those teams sort of dispelling this idea that there is really a tier one or tier two, or if there is that sort of two tiers sort of system, it's not a, oh, it's six nations and rugby championships are, are the only tier one teams. There's, you know, there is Fiji, there is Japan, there is, you know, Samara, if they can put it together. I said, they, they looked really good against England and probably deserve to beat them in the end of the, at the end of the day. And you look at, yeah, the rise of a Chile or something like that, Portugal. Oh my goodness! What a story that was. Seeing yeah. how they played and yeah, get onto that game because that was just amazing to watch a team play with such freedom. With you know, still incorporating a bit of their own sort of national style as well. When you see seeing a hooker nail a forty meter clearing kick, <laughs> number eight, you know, crossfield kicking, and you're like, this is the, the you got the soccer influence, and then to see the fans go wild at the airport afterwards. To me, that's that's what rugby's about. That's what makes it so special. And I feel like this World Cup's just been filled with, and particularly in the group stages, it's been filled like moments and memories like that. I think this this World Cup has proven more than anything else that uh, one, the that there is a, a, a serious need for a lot of those emerging countries to get more game time. Not necessarily like you don't need to play New Zealand all the time, but like. Australia A, a Maori All Blacks, uh, you know, a B-grade side to help you get transition that level up um, because they're clearly good enough to be competitive uh, against those sides. And you can see already the influence that that sort of playing a team like that has had for, you know, a, a team like, you know, for example, Fiji playing in the Pacific Nations Cup against Australia A. There's, And then secondly, I think the other one is these new uh, eligibility laws, are they keep them. Keep them. They're mm. amazing. I absolutely love these eligibility laws because it is, it has made the, the your Samoas and your Fijis of the world just. It, it really kind of sees the value that they've put into the game for all the other nations. It sees it come back in spades mm. uh, and sees them be at the level that they should be. How much would you love to have seen a plate uh, final in where all the third and fourth place teams actually played against each other? Um, you know. To see them, you know, Tonga and Chile play against each other, where they're probably more at the same level in a, in a, in games that actually matter to these guys, where they could actually then set themselves for that. Because realistically, you know, a Tonga or or Chile or Uruguay aren't thinking they can win the World Cup, but if they got the opportunity to go, you know, we can have a proper crack at this and play a meaningful game in front of in front of a large number of people, and and that would really certainly get their their country behind them even more. It's my whole thing is that final bit of would you actually have, you know, meaningful crowds rock up for a plate final or, a, you know, a third v fourth 
game when there's you know quarterfinals going on and everything else. That's my only concern. I, I think what needs to happen is more. If you're going to go down this Nations League route, which they sound like they're going to do, mm. make it promotion or relegation. Get make it give those guys a way to get into those into that big leagues and you know still have them playing off against each other. And you know because we've seen as you said you've seen the value of it. And not only that, I mean Australia A playing Portugal before the tournament, so sort the of one that that did for Portugal. Mm. But if you can find a way for these teams to consistently play, not only consistently play each other, but mm. give it the hype that it deserves. Like you've got this rugby Europe championship going on um, with Portugal and Spain and Romania and these sort of nations, but it's happening at the same time as six nations. So yeah. it's not going to get the same attention and love that it probably deserves. So I think if you're going to go down this route of, you know, plate finals and properly getting tier two nations involved, it's a case of, all right, well, how do we make this schedule prop like properly aligned and available to people so they can understand that, Rugby isn't just the Six Nations and Rugby Championships. Its strength is in those emerging teams coming through and, you know, playing the style of rugby that might get those people who are over the, you know, kicking duels and sort of the more chess battle that you find in those bigger games rather than just teams throwing it around and giving it to their lot to go for a chip and chase try like we saw Mm. in Japan. My two cents on this is I will like while I do think that Nathan has a good point and it's more a case that we should just give them more opportunities in general before the World Cup. I will say that it has grown on me a little bit mm. uh, this idea of a shield because I think it was a really great comment raised by uh, I'm trying to think of it might have been the Uruguayan coach who kind of said, "Are we just here to make up the numbers, uh, or are we here to actually, you know, get a good experience or be competitive?" Mm. Um, because you know they're finishing bottom of the ladder and they're in a really hard pool against with you know the two two of the strongest nations in the world and you know are they just there to just to because they got there through qualification i mean it's it's nothing to be sniffed at to make a world cup but you know after the end of those games that might be the only time they play france or new zealand for the next 3 or 4 years and what benefit does it have them mm. not getting the chance to play that sort of quality opposition you may as well st- st- stay around and have and play a couple more games but yeah, I'm still on the fence on it, but yeah. I'm thinking about it now. Yeah, look, I'd go, but ultimately I think TV would be uh, would still would actually it would benefit in terms of the, your viewership, even though you might have to play it at a smaller venue. There's compelling arguments for both sides, and I guess hmm. my sort of I look at it as you look at the Wallabies right now. Would you, with everything that's going on around the sort of the team and you know the whole news cycle sort of, which we'll get into later, would you really want them preparing for a, you know, a potential game against Namibia or would you just kind of be saying, all right, let's just, let's get them home. Let's focus on pre-season, bury this campaign and just move on and try and build heading forward. But yeah, it's a, it's an interesting debate to have because I do sort of the merit on both sides. Well, let's dive into the world of, of the actual games from the weekend, we have eight to choose from, and uh, we've been saying these with these with our World Cup prediction bite podcast that we've been doing here. Um, we dive in and ask, uh, I ask you guys, what's your what was your favourite match of the weekend to watch? Uh, and I feel this is a tough question to ask, and I'll throw it to you first, Nathan, on this one because there were some bloody good matches. We got eight to choose from. What was the match that you loved watching the most? God, it's like making me pick my favourite child. Jeez. Um, <laughs> I will go with I'll go with the obvious answer, even though from an Australian perspective, it was probably one of the hardest matches to watch in Portugal Fiji. Just the firstly, from a for a pure fan perspective, what a roller coaster! Like I think we we went in as you sort of alluded to, went into the game not expecting anything. Just I think I tweeted before the game, I just wanted Fiji to put the ball in me early, get score a couple of tries, get the bonus point, and then just I can sit and relax. But Portugal just came out and just took it to them, like they. For a team that plays an exact, very similar style to Fiji, you know, the open rugby, keeping the ball alive with the quick taps and the flicks in behind, they matched it with them the whole way. And they've come away with, you know, probably one of the upsets of the, you know, biggest upsets in World Cup history. When you look at the rankings and you look at the kind of, and look at everything that was on the line for Fiji as well. It was an unbelievable game and sort of reminds you of just how good it can be when, you know, everything sort of comes together and you have two teams playing the style of rugby that's just really exciting to watch from a neutral's perspective. 
It is the obvious answer, but it is true. I mean, the only game I think that can really compare to it in terms of this tournament so far has probably been the other game that Portugal was involved, which which, which was the 18-all draw to, uh, to to with um, with Georgia. So I think like either that or a couple of good Samoan games. It's always good when you see one of those kind of emerging nations just put together some great performances. Happy, were you on the same page? Is this uh, were you in a is, was was Fiji Portugal and then daylight? Um, look, I, I, I actually didn't have that as my favourite game for the weekend. It was either, it, I sort of split mine between uh, just Ireland, Scotland, even though I've got Scottish heritage, just the manner in which Ireland went about their business, the ruthlessness and the way they just unpicked what is the fifth ranked team in the world and just put them to the sword, wasn't close, um, you know, both really enjoyed it as a as an intellectual exercise watching it but it was quite humbling because my team was getting their oh, sent it to them something chronic um and then the just the just the running of um japan and argentina you know the the try that box scored was just you know unbelievable you know just took the ball from a kick a couple of passes kick chase just unbelievable you just don't see that in other codes no, you don't. And I, for me, those are the, these are the top three games of the weekend, mm. and I, I'm going to have to side with you on that Ireland-Scotland game. I think if there was any game, I mean, obviously, Ireland have been playing really well. Let's mm. It cannot be denied, but uh, I feel like they're just the versatility of their style of game has been something that I've been incredibly impressed by. It's mm. not just the fact that, you know, they had to really – it was a good old classic arm wrestle with that, with that South Africa win – or that they put Romania and Ireland to the sword in such emphatic fashion. Mm. It was real eyes-up rugby. They mm. saw and recognised the threats that Scotland had, a legitimately good side. Scotland mm. are a very good team, um, and and completely deconstructed them. Mm. Um, that was what was so exciting and fantastic about it, because it was just the versatility of the play and recognising and, and acting on what's in front of them is what I think is so fantastic about Ireland. And I feel like if there was any doubt, I feel like Ireland, even though they were coming in as the world champions, as, as the world number ones, rather, not yet world champions, but we could see that, this game more than anything proved that, you know, France are looking great, New Zealand are looking great, South Africa are looking great, but Ireland seem a little bit above the rest of them right now. Hmm. And the question is, is remains is, can they break that quarterfinal curse? Um, as a result, because if there's any time to do it, uh, this match and all the other games beforehand, this proves it now is it. There is mm. no, I feel like right now is the best time you're ever going to get if you're an Irish fan to 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 go for Bill. This mm. is it, because it's it, like no way could you do it in any other way, shape or f- like they're looking that good. Let's move on to the biggest what the fuck moment from the weekend because I feel like there'd, there'd probably be a lot of overlap with a lot of other games that we have here at the moment. Um, and happy, I'll throw to you first because uh, there was a lot of interesting moments that came out of this mm. weekend. What was the moment that just made you go, what the fuck in either, in any sort in, in, in any form? Yeah. Um, it, it was the, the TMO going clear and obvious in the um, England Samoa game. Oh God. Conversion. <laughs> Is my head in. Oh no. <laughs> I know I wrote about it today where I said tier two bias is a thing. And to me, that was just like ticking all the boxes. Like there was never clear and obvious in that. And it's like, you know, I I hate the TMO in any sense and I'd happily scrap the whole thing. But that was just, that did my head in. It was just, how does that happen? And, you know, I thought Samoa were genuinely robbed in that game. I thought they outplayed the English and I hope the Fijians knock them off this weekend. I think their coach, Sialala Mapasua, uh, he made a uh, a good comment in mm. the in the post-match because they talked about the question of unconscious bias mm. shown by refs. And he kind of made the point that, like, well, a lot of our boys, we play in the same comps as the English players. Like, mm. we play in Premier grade, we play in top 14, like, yeah. we play in all those things. Uh, and so they're exposed to these refs. They know all about these refs. They know how these refs work. Um, and they know, and he goes, I don't know if, if it's the case that the we need to spend more time with them. I can't think of it that way because we spend time with those refs all the time. Is it a case that the refs need to spend more time with us? 
I don't know, but he kind of thought that, you know, he, he, he couldn't think of any other reason other than that there is some sort of unconscious bias because there was the amount of penalties they got was like nine to 14. And then a player was sent to the bin in that critical closing stages. I don't know what it is. I, I mm. like, I do think though that the TMOs, while I actually think, I actually think the refs on the park have been mm. doing a really good job this year, um, this, this World Cup. I actually think it's, it's, it's so easy to bag the ref. And I hate mm. the idea of bagging the ref because they're human at the end of the day. We have the benefit of looking at it you know, for weeks and months afterwards with every single minute detail and replay, they've got to make a call mm. in like a split second. And they're extremely good at what they do. And I think that the refs on the park have been exceptional. But, yeah, the TMOs, they've not been – they've had some moments. Mm. They've had some moments, which has been interesting. Um, Nathan, is TMO the issue that you see here or is it was there something else that kind of stood out to you this weekend? Uh, I heard something else and something some got alluded to earlier. This whole idea that there was going to be this Irish-Scottish conspiracy theory that we're going to knock out South Africa. Like, I'm sorry, but you have two nations that don't like each other to start with. Do you think that they're all of a sudden going to come out and be like, all right, so what's the point? What do we need? 29 points? All right, 20, okay, we'll, we'll let you build a lead and then we'll work it out when we get in. Like, it comes back to a frustration I had with sort of certain parts of South African social media and that fandom that think that everything's against them, that they have to, you know, if we win, it was a great performance by our team because our team's better. If we lose, well, it must be, it must be something going on. You know, it must be a referee's fault, a TMO's fault. It must be, you know, the stadium isn't right. You know, the car, the car someone must have sort of tampered with our bus. Like, there's always something wrong. The with traffic it. light system right. isn't working. Someone didn't put the batteries in it. It's <laughs> Guys, it's not like there's not a conspiracy against you. Are the defending champions. There's not a conspiracy against you. Like, relax. Everyone knows how good you are. Everyone knows that you're one of the favourites, and if you get past France on Sunday and local time, you will probably be the favourite to win it. Calm down. It's okay. You know, understand that. You know. Not, every, not everyone's against you. Stop biting into certain people's social media. Shout out Ben Smith because I know he loves doing it. Um, but just relax, guys. It's okay. <laughs> if you take the joke. Take the sort of everything with a grain of salt and understand that not everyone's out to get you. It, is, it was quite embarrassing, wasn't it? Especially the fact that then Ireland then went out and just beat the snot out of Scotland. I, I think it was Mike Cat in the previous, like he got the question of this conspiracy theory put to him and he just burst out laughing and just said, like, where have you been hearing this from? Like match fixing sort of discussions. He goes, no, we're not in cahoots with Scotland. Like, and then he goes yeah. out and proves it just absolutely demolishes the Scots uh, in emphatic fashion. Uh, I, I appreciate both your choices. It actually makes me realize how much random shit actually happened this weekend. Mm. Um, for me, I'm just going to go with the pure heart, uh, what the fuck moment, which was literally the, the, the last play of that Fiji-Portugal game because uh, I actually, you know, I watched the I watched most of that match, but in the last five minutes when I saw Fiji kind of cruise ahead and I thought, oh, they're, they're, they're away by a decent margin, uh, that's it. Mm. And, of course, I missed the closing try. And so suddenly I, go, I look on social media and then see that the score was 23-24 and I actually then legitimately said, what the fuck? Mm. Uh, that was my that final try was just it was a peach and it was a beauty mm. and just seeing the fact as well proper another what the fuck moment apparently from all the people who were there it's the first time ever that people have not been cheering for Fiji mm. which is amazing to me. <laughs> the um, for mine I'd also give an honourable mention to the uh, the try that that um, South uh, Japanese second rower scored. I mean that is what the fuck like that's not. I mean, that's just a different being to what I am. Like, more talent in his little finger than I would ever have had in my whole body. It's unbelievable that a Loftus just has that. Like, as someone someone who played second row, someone, if you have that idea of, you know what, the fullback's coming towards me, I, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to chip and chase and get mm. the ball back. Mm. Insane. Yeah. How do you even have that thought? Mm. Um, like unbelievable and you know probably on a long long list for tries of the tournament because i feel like there's been so many good ones hasn't yeah. there been some crackers 
Yeah. It's been a good tournament. I'm not going to lie. Even even despite the, the, the poor performance of the Wallabies, it's actually been so much fun, um, just this tournament and all of the stuff that's been happening around it. It's, yeah, so many what-the-fuck moments. I feel like we went over by a considerable margin. But you're here. You're on this rugby podcast. You're listening to this rugby podcast. You get it. It's fun. Mm. It was, it was, it's been a, it was a fun weekend of rugby. Uh, so... Pool stages are now behind us. I'm actually going to throw a, a, an extra question in the in the mix here. Um, it's an impossible question, which is why I'm going to th- throw a hospital pass to Nathan in typical fashion. Nathan, after this, uh, there was so much talk about which pool was the pool of death, uh, which pool was the you know the pool that we were going to watch with all eyes. Uh, and I'm going to throw you what for you after we now have all of these games completed was the most entertaining pool of this World Cup. That's a tough one. Um, I'm gonna because all like all four t- delivered some really good games. When you look at even Pool A with France and Uruguay, how close that game was. Pool B and all this kind of world class games from there. But I think you, you can't go past Pool C in my opinion. Like results, the fact that we've got a pool where you know Wales went four for four, nearly went near perfect when people were saying that they were the team, one of the sort of big teams most likely missed the finals. You then have the next three teams on two losses. You know, Fiji getting through for the first time. Yes, Australia losing, which sucks, but still probably one of the biggest what-the-fuck moments to come out in a World Cup history. And then Portugal all of a sudden getting the win over Georgia, who everyone, you know, everyone looked at that Wales-Georgia game and went, hang on, that could be the game that decides this pool and what what the makeup was. Turns out it was a nothing game between first and last. Like, it was unbelievable. Like, in terms of just pure chaotic energy and nature, it's tough to go past Pool C. Do you agree with that, Happy? Uh, as much as I hate to, yes, I do. I mean, as I said, <laughs> like, honestly, as I said in the start, what odds would you have gotten that Georgia finished last in that pool? Yeah, yeah. And, and realistically weren't far away from getting out of it themselves, you know, and the same with, you know, Wales were extremely lucky against um, against Fiji. Um, you know, it's just a great. It was apart from us being average, there was actually some really good footy played, and it was compelling. Uh, yeah, I'd agree, and I think as well. I think surprisingly, because everyone was talking about how Pool A and B going into the tournament were basically where the the action was going to be because it's where all the strong teams that are currently playing are your New Zealand's, your Ireland's, your France's, your South Africa's. But, you know, I think the key difference is, is that because those teams are so strong, the games and the results there, even though you, you have some exceptions like the Uruguay game against France, the tour, the actual pool results felt a bit more like a foregone conclusion. And the gap mm. in the actual final results when, when was much more noticeable because of the fact that, you know, there was very little chance that, say, a, a Romania was going to beat Ireland, or, a, or, a, you know, a Namibia was going to have a crack at France. I want to also, I do agree with Nathan. He puts forward a convincing argument, but I also want to do a, an honourable mention to Pool D, because uh, I think I did not expect England to top the pool. Um, I thought that even though it was a god awful game to watch, it was still smart rugby the way they de- deconstructed Argentina and just seeing Argentina completely self-implode was one of the weirdest rugby experiences I've ever had, but also just seeing the quality of Samoa um, and Mm. see how great they are and just how much goddamn fun Chile is. Mm. Um, Yes, the the teams that we thought would go through uh, went through uh, in Argentina and and England, but uh, I won't deny the fact that I had a great time watching Paul D. Turns out Paul C and D might be the, it might be the Minnows pools, but they were a lot of fun. You need, a, you need a little bit of chaos, like a little bit of chaos, a little bit of sort of unpredictability. It just makes the world go round and makes for a great, great sort of pool stages. Yeah, it's uh, you, you have to be an agent. You need the agents of chaos to come in, don't we? We do. And with that, we <coughs> now have to talk about the quarterfinals. We have incredibly only eight matches left, three weeks left of, until Rugby World Cup 2023 is done and dusted and incredibly until we don't see another tournament like this for another four years. And the next time it'll be here in, in Australia, which is very weird. So quarterfinals, first of all, kicking off this weekend, Wales will be up against Argentina in Marseille. Second match, uh, Ireland will be against New Zealand. 
Uh, England will be playing against Fiji. Uh, and then finally, France finishing off will be playing the Springboks at start to France. Yeah. Well, let's go through each game. I'll, I'll get your one or two pointers on this one uh, from, from both of you. Um, who do we think is going to win the game and where will the game be won and lost? And I'm going to happy. I'm going to throw to you first with the first match that we're make, that we're going to have uh, this weekend, which is Wales versus Argentina. Who do you think is winning? I'm going to probably swim against the, the tide here. I think that uh, I like Argentina for this game. I think Czech has actually managed to get them sort of picking. I think they were, they were understandable. They were rubbish against uh against England at the start of the tournament, but they built into it. Uh, ultimately had a pretty good win on the weekend. And I think if, if you go with their best versus Wales's best, I think uh, Argentina Argentina's best is better than Wales's best. The, the issue is any Gatlin-based team, their set piece is going to be on point, their scrum, their line out, their defence is going to be on point, they're, they're going to be fit. So they're probably... Might, the problem that they have is checker teams love to run, as we know, we've seen it for way too long, and they'll just they could end up just running into a brick wall and just running out of ideas. But I like Argentina for this game. Interesting, because I was I was my instinct was to go for was to go for Wales uh, initially. Um, think looking at this game one because they just seem to have rediscovered it seems Gatlin just understands how Wales has worked he's tried to go back for a stint in New Zealand it didn't work and he's just come back and accepted you know what Wales is where I ply my trade as a head coach I get them I understand them and on top of it like I think I think I lost Pumas are missing Pablo Matera as well yeah. like a really influential player there in the loose forwards but you know they got class. They've got a lot of class, that Lost Pumas side. Nathan, do we agree? You know what? I'm agree with Happy. I, I think Argentina get it done. You talk about the Pablo Matera injury, and I'll, I'll counter that with the fact that we still don't know about Gareth Anscombe and Liam Williams from the Wales side. I reckon they, they, you know, Anscombe was their best in that game against um, the Wallabies. I think Williams was the best against Georgia, if not, mm. if not one of the best. Falatau's um, got a broken arm. I was going to say that as well. Uh, Dan Biggis, uh, I think, is only just coming back from his injury. So I think there's a lot of kind of key pieces with Wales who are either a bit underdone or coming under an injury cloud. And I think it'll be all, I just think you guys sort of touched on it, it's all about can Argentina break down the brick wall that is Wales' defence. I think Wales has built their sort of campaign on on the sort of set-piece game, back in the defence to get the results and then being really efficient when they get into the 22. I wonder how that's going to work against an Argentinian side that's already kind of used to finals football, getting the sort of, as you said, peaking at the right time, in the, in the sort of right mindset to go all out attack and just, it's, it's just going to be, can they hold them out for long enough? And which I don't think they will. I think Argentina get, get it done. Well, if there's any team, Happy alluded to it earlier, but if there's, you know, any team that is good at going go for because it's Checkers style, it is Argentine, it is Los Pumas. They know how to move fast, quick ball, and they're also their boys are just big, so they, they can afford to have a bit more time with their defence and, and can cause a bit of a mess to Welsh attack as well. Interesting call here. I, so I'm picking Wales. You two are going for Argentina. Um, so we're picking, we're going for Argentina on this particular match. Second game, and probably a contender for a match of the tournament here, is probably the most intense grudge match of the last couple of years. Ireland coming up against the All Blacks. I know uh, I, I've heard, heard from a couple of Irish commentators and I've heard from a couple of Kiwi commentators on this one, but this game apparently is all about revenge. From what I've heard, for that for that series loss in New Zealand for the All Blacks, Nathan, is, first of all, is this a contender for the for the match of the quarterfinals? And if so, where will it be won and lost? Up comfortably. I mean, between this, realistically, all four games feel like a perfectly even sort of matchup. So, you, I reckon, you, from this weekend, you get the game of the round. I just instead of game of the year, I just don't know from what game it's going to be. But this is, if I had to kind of market it up. I think this would be the favourite. Um, where this will be one, I feel like this is just going to be such a high-level chess match between two sides that know each other pretty well from that series last year. You know, you've got the, the Schmidt factor with New Zealand. Um, he'll have something up his sleeve. Um, and yeah, it's just going to be about can New Zealand... New Zealand are a weird one in the sense of the three thumpings out and, they, and you all of a sudden go back to the French game and where they looked pretty average when put under pressure and dealing with the 
the crowd and the pressure. So it's a case of how much do you read on the improvements of the past three weeks? And it's an island side that's basically been running the gauntlet ever since when you consider how well they, have, they played against South Africa and then into Scotland. Like, they're, they're a real chance if they lift the trophy at the end of the year, end of the year they might have played, you know, six of the top seven teams below them in order to lift a World Cup. And it might be, in terms of strength of schedule, the strongest sort of sort of path of victory that we've ever seen. So it's a case of can Ireland – I think the deciding factor is can Ireland shut down the attacking threats in New Zealand and have the big games that Ireland have already had already taken the toll on their pack? I, I say they won't. I say the Irish get it done. But I think this is going to be one of those ones where it'll go down to the final couple of minutes, maybe even extra time. Yeah, I can see this being an extra time game because I feel like this is probably the game that both sides have probably prepped for. Ireland have probably prepared for a fact that that they were gonna that France were gonna have something prepared for that New Zealand for that first match against the All Blacks, and and probably have foreseen a scenario like this coming. Happy, what do we think? Um, I I like the Irish in this game, uh, primarily because it took them 70 years to beat New Zealand, but I think since they beat them in in Chicago what, six or seven years ago, I think they actually hold a winning record against them. Um, so I don't think they're actually scared of playing New Zealand like everyone else is. I think they're scared of playing a quarterfinal, though. <laughs> so, uh, but, yeah, for mine, I just think if, if Styles make fights, I think the Irish seem to have the kryptonite for the New Zealanders. Um, but it's I'm with Nathan. It's, it's, it's a toss of the coin. You know, it... You wouldn't bet any money that you actually meant something to you on this game. It's just too it's just too hard to call. It, it's going to be five points either way. I agree. It's going to it's five points, three points. It's going to be one of those matches. And mm. I mean, I I have to, I'm so, I know I feel like we're not being fair on New Zealand here, but I I think Ireland as well. There's mm. just if there's ever first of all that if there's ever a time that Ireland are going to break the duck, the quarterfinal mm. curse. This is it. This is the this is the moment. Maybe that will play in New Zealand's favour because the moment of the occasion might get to Ireland, um, as because they have barely put a foot wrong for the last few years. I mean, it's 17 match winning streak that they're on. It's uh, it's unbelievable uh, how well that they have been playing. Um, New Zealand have have lots of. Uh, have lots of firepower. They look re- have looked really, really strong. I mean, I think that game against Italy is probably the best they've looked all tournament. But when they have, but they haven't been firing on all cylinders, even in those flockings. Um, it's not the New Zealand that I grew up fearing. Hmm. Um, and I know that there there have been moments this year where they have looked that good. Uh, and like rugby championship, they looked fantastic. Uh, the the game against Italy they again they looked incredible but it's the fact that they're in this sort of mixed form mm. is something I've never seen in an All Black side before yeah. and I and because you look at you look at an All Black side and you think how the hell do I get through this team where's the weaknesses that's and that is part part of their power. That is part of the that they've already got the mental. They've already started the mental mind games with you before you've even got on the field and done the haka. Mm. That is that is the power that they have. I see holes in this team, which is unusual. It's an unusual feeling to to, to it's an unusual headspace to be in. So it's really not necessarily a question of of whether Ireland can beat New Zealand. I think Ireland can beat New Zealand. My question is, can Ireland not let the occasion go to their head? Because if they let the occasion go to the head, they will lose this match. Hmm. Because New Zealand know how to take advantage and strike back at a moment of weakness. Uh, and if there is ever going to be a moment of weakness, it is for Ireland. It is breaking <coughs> the quarterfinal. So I reckon we're, we're in line for one of the all-time great World Cup matches. Hmm. We're talking like one of the biggest in the entire tournament's history this weekend. Hmm. Uh, and I, I. I see Ireland winning. I don't know why. My head is saying my my head and my heart just feel like if there's ever a time for Ireland, it's now. And I, right now, I don't see how you beat them because even when they have been down and out for the count, which they looked like for a little bit against South Africa, when South Africa were really flogging them and beating the snot out of each other, they found a way to win that game. I'm going Ireland as well, which is nuts. The three three zip to Ireland in that particular instance. 
Quarterfinal number three, England versus Fiji. I think it's fair to say that all of us uh, will be barracking for Fiji in this particular game as our second adopted team, uh, though you guys may disagree. Happy, what do we think? Um, you know, I, look, I, I desperately want Fiji to win. My biggest concern is that uh, they've, they've run out of petrol. Mm. Uh, if you look at it, they they peaked against us. They, I think they put a lot into England in the pre before the World Cup. They put a lot into Wales, then they put a lot into us. They haven't been good. So, are they going to are they going to be up for it? Are they just going to have enough petrol left in the tank? The only thing that makes me feel absolutely fantastic is it looks like um, England have picked uh, uh, Owen Farrell at ten. Yeah. <laughs> fantastic news, like just great news. Because the other thing that, I mean, apart from everyone saying he, he's a no-arms tackler, he actually misses a lot of tackles in the game. Uh, he's not got a great tackle success rate. And I don't know about you, but if they can get to a saver after uh, Farrell, I think they win that all day and most of the night. So I just think that, uh, yeah, Fiji's set piece is strong. Their line-out's pretty good. Um yeah, I really like it. I, I think it's a real opportunity for them. And you know that their coaches who they've got some very smart coaches that will actually have been preparing for this game and they may not have given Portugal and um, Georgia the actual respect they deserved in terms of game planning. Once they got past Australia, they probably started targeting this game more than the rest. So I give me Fiji. I'd love to see it by 12 points, to be honest. How good would it be? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's, I don't know if it's going to be by that margin, but I do expect this to be a, a closer match that some may suggest. Or you might be right, and they've emptied, they've gone as far as they possibly can with these boys, and England put them to the sword, um, in, hmm. similar to to they did with Argentina. Nathan, what do you think? I mean, I've been I've been on that theory for a while now. That CG, I, I I called it two games earlier. I think I thought. I thought they'd run out, run out of the energy before the sort of for the World Cup. That England win turns out they still had a very good performance against Australia left in them. Um, I think for Fiji, they'll benefit from not having the pressure on them in the mm. sense of I think they had these expectations of they can wrap up the World Cup with a win, a World Cup quarterfinals with a win, and you know that expectation that they were going to do it easy and kind of it was a matter of sort of when, not if. I don't think that, that, you know, that suits the Fijian mentality and style of play. I think they'll enjoy people writing them off and this idea that England are going to roll over them so they can just go back to, as you said, sort of flinging the ball around, you know, working out, sort of playing the style of rugby that works best for them and just seeing what happens. But I think there's too much big game experience in this England side. I think a lot of them have come through, whether it's in 2019 or a couple of premierships finals. When you look at the, the guys like Freddie Stewart and the like, I think they've, they're used to environments like this and that's just going to be the difference in the, in the end of the day. So as much as it hurts to say, I think England get this done. Yeah, I have to agree. I'm sorry. And and I and it pains me to do so because I fucking loathe England. I mean, not the actual country. I mean, it's a nice, mm. a nice place, but uh, I think the... <laughs> <laughs> I did, I did read somewhere today that Freddie Stewart's out, out of the 23. I think they're playing Marcus Smith at 15. I think they are. Yeah. Yes, I think they are. But the interesting, the one for me is that even though they, they've moved George Ford out of the 10, um, and I do agree with you, Happy, that, that Owen Farrell is, is actually probably a positive for the uh, for the Fijians, he's still in that 23, and I think he's going to make a huge difference in the back end of that heart, of that game because of mm. just the control that he has shown so far in this tournament. He's a good player. Oh, he's sorry. really he's a great player. I'm not, I, I, you know, I cannot. He, he's just a great kicker, great strategizer, <laughs> and just knows how to command and move a team, move his troops around. I think, uh, as much as it pains me to say it, England get England get home here. England get home. I think he, I do start to think, Nath, that after that Portugal game, uh, if if Fiji had managed to pull off a win against Portugal. I probably would have seen this game being a bit closer, but I reckon they're they're running out of steam. I reckon they're running out. Fiji are running out of steam a little bit here. Uh, can't wait for them to prove me wrong. You can you can come back and quote me on you this. Will. I will I will tell you. 
yeah, you can come back and quote me on this. Uh, mm. Eviscerate me in the uh, in 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 the review section of the of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Happy, you happy will go to town on me in the in the gagger chat. It's fine. <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> but yeah, I see England getting home here. Mm. Final match. Uh, another probable probable contender for uh, the match of the round um, is of course the host nations France going up against the Springboks at Stade de France uh, to close the tournament out. Uh, this is a close one. This is a tough one um, in terms of because both sides are coming in. There's a lot of question marks. There's a lot of players who are out. There's a lot of players who potentially might be in again. Um, they've both got depth for days. Nathan, where do we start with this one? Oh, goodness me. Take your pick. Um, like, this is – this deserves to be a final. I mean, just the defending champions – the hosts, um, you've got the storyline behind Antoine Dupont potentially coming back from his facial fracture in time for a return. Um, oh, my goodness. Like, this is going to be just an incredible game to kind of sit back and watch and just soak it all in as a from a neutral's perspective. Um, where this game's been won and lost, I think it's sort of – it's a tough one. There's so many sort of different elements that you sort of talk about. I think it's just going to be – one or two moments in the game where you're going to have – where each team's going to get the opportunity to strike. And it's just going to be who's better at sort of taking that and seizing that opportunity. You know, you look at France. They've been incredibly clinical when it comes to, you know, take knowing when to kick, when to sort of pass, when to take on the line. And against the South African side, it's going to be throwing so much pressure at them. It's, I think it's going to come down to whether they can sort of execute in the sort of – with the, you know – a country's worth of expectation on them on the biggest stage there is in France with, you know, the, even the entire world watching them. It's just going to be, can they handle the pressure and can they deliver on what's been five or six years in the making? Because if, if they can get through this game, they can they can get through anything. They can they can handle the final. They can handle whatever's waiting for them in the semi-final. Like, they can, they can go the entire way. But this is the game that's going to sort of see if the last five years of building and planning has been worth it. There's a lot riding on this one for France. There's a lot. There's a lot because it's been no secret they've been world number ones in this period of time. They've had massive long winning streaks. They've demolished the All Blacks. They've beaten the Sprit. They've beaten many teams. It's been a, a fascinating journey for Le Bleu since 2019. Happy, do you see a win here? Um, I think I'd like I like the French in this game. Um, I think they're they're basically two of exactly the same team. They've got electric backs, massive humans as forwards, um, and just, you know, and they're almost the same team playing each other. Um, For mine, though, I I think the French goalkeeping will be the difference. If the, um, I believe the Sappers are going to pick Leboc at 10, and he's not a very good goalkeeker. And the French, I think it's Ramos is the goal kicker for France. Does he miss one this year? Like he's just he's metronomic. It's every time you give a penalty inside inside your fifty, it's three points, no matter how wide, no matter how far. So I just think that scoreboard pressure then makes the Saffirs have to play a bit more than they want to. And I just think, you know, I, that's why I'd take the French on the back of they'll be so amped up on their home crowd, but that can work against them. Um, but I just, you know, and the French pack is just, they're just so good. Um, I love that walkie watching him play. He's just a different animal. Um, yeah, I like the French. I just think they'll they'll get home and, you know, the final between, you know, will be between them and Ireland in the end. But, um, yeah, give me France, and but it'll be close. Like, again, it's five points or less. Yeah, it's one of those games. So we've got two... Nathan for France, happy for France. I I don't know what it is that is speaking to me because I've been saying it so far in all of the podcasts we have this year. If it is the rugby, if the rugby gods are true, it has to be an Ireland France final because they've been the two best sides in the world for the last four years. Um, to uh, to me, but I I feel like the Springboks have got something here. Hmm. I'm going box. For this one, be, not be out of, not out of uh, disrespect to France, um, not out of like, if if it was the case that we had Dupont and Intermac playing, it would be I would be going the other way, 
Hmm. Um, but I just feel like in that game against Ireland, I, I thought Ireland were going to win by a larger margin than they did. And the Springboks came and played an extremely focused match. Um, and if not for the poor kicking, which you've alluded to already, Happy, they probably would have won it, um, particularly in that second half, because de Klerk missed some, Lebok missed some. Um, and if they, if the South Africans maintain, though, that level of physicality and pressure, I think they have a lot in them to, to win this match. Um, old school choking, going to the rolling mall, going to the, that physical side of the Springbok game um, and playing. And also, I think they're happy to be the enemy here. I think they're happy to be the – they're, they're going to let that crowd hatred and fury kind of drive them a little bit. I don't know what it is because I would be overjoyed to have uh, France in the semifinals. And again, happy to be proven wrong here. But I've just got a feeling about South Africa this weekend. It's a feeling more than anything else. Yeah, it's a tough one, but I appreciate you can the argument both ways. You can't. Well, that's right. that's that's what makes that such a great game. Yeah, it's that's it, again. To, poor us. We have to mm. watch extremely close rugby matches. It's mm. terrible. Oh, mm. right. And no, all the no emotional connection as well. Like God, it's and so, no emotional. So oh, it's the best. <laughs> so good. Yeah. So based on this, we're going to have an Ireland, Argentina, and England, France semi-final. Um, which semi-finals uh, based on these predictions here, which should be an interesting state of affairs. It's going to be a fantastic batch of, batch of games this weekend, and for the God, love of God, go and check them out. We'll finish off. We'll, we'll, we've talked uh, Rugby World Cup this whole this whole podcast, but let's finish off a little bit close to home with two key pieces of news. Um, the first is all this chat about centralisation. Uh, it looks like there's been a huge amount of news that has come out since the last couple of podcasts that we did. Um, first of all, that uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Super Rugby sides and state unions handing over the keys effectively to, to RA, and one team has confirmed they will do that, um, being uh, the New South Wales Waratahs, uh, effectively handing over the keys to Rugby Australia to operate out of Moore Park. Um, we have had some more news. There's been a lot of talk about where all the other teams are kind of standing on it. The Rebels seem on board, the Force seem interested, but the Brumbies and the Reds seem to be the ones that have the most kind of hesitancy about it. Um, and the Reds released a statement earlier today basically saying that they're all for the high performance program, but they want to keep the commercial operations separate. Um, and on a personal level, I think this is a mindset that I don't think is a bad idea with. Um, happy, your Queensland, born and bred, loyal, mm. loyal Red supporter. What are your thoughts? Um, look, I'm, for one of the few times in... Um in my adult life, I probably agree with what the uh, the Reds have said, <laughs> because honestly, sometimes you just follow them out of out of sheer bloody mindedness. But um, <laughs> but don't I know that? <laughs> honestly, um, but uh, look, I I like the I, the whole centralisation model. I'm a big fan of. Um, you know, I've been a big fan of uh, what David Nusifor did has done with Ireland and he wanted to do that in Australia in about 2010. We didn't, you know, for whatever reason, RA decided they didn't want that. He went off to Ireland and has just done an awful job over there since then. Um, so yeah, they're not looking good at all. <laughs> it's, their pathways are rubbish. They've got terrible players. They don't upskill <laughs> them. Honestly, they just, I don't know how they managed to get how they have. Um, so from my perspective, I think it's a great idea. I mean, I've seen a lot of um, a lot of junior rugby. I watch a lot of club rugby, and there's a there is a ton of talent in Australia that we just don't have it harnessed properly. It through various myopic um, components of you know what happens in Brisbane, what happens in Sydney. You know, everyone's got their own little feast, and nobody actually cares about the whole thing. Um, we need to get into this situation where it's it's a clear. It goes, you know, you st you play for this club, then you, if you're good enough, you go to this club, then if you're good enough, you go to um, this, you know, you go into state, and then if you're good enough, you go to uh, the Wallabies, and everything should be funneled into getting into that point. Everyone agrees on it. Nobody's prepared to do the heavy lifting. So if they prepared to do the heavy lifting, I'm all on board. 
Well, Phil's, Phil War has kind of mentioned that this is the model that he wants to pursue with, and even if he doesn't get all sides on board, he's, there's going to be he's, he's hoping that there's a chance to rebuild some trust here. And I think if there is one thing that there is certainly lacking, it is trust. We only have to look at what happened in 2018 when they took ownership of the force, uh, what happened over there, and how that that uh, kind of transpired. Nathan, I mean, I think you've been pretty, you've been a very strong advocate for for centralisation as well. What are your thoughts on kind of this last week or so, and how the Waratahs and the Reds specifically are sitting, and where we go next? I think I think for the Reds it makes a lot of sense. Like no one knows the market better than them in terms of that Queensland audience and how to get the best out of it. Again, Waratahs doesn't surprise me to see them sort of come in into the fold. I think they've always been a big sort of advocate for it. It's just a case of getting the other guys, other sort of teams involved as well. Because, yeah, I think it's just the best way to kind of manage, as sort of Happy was saying, just managing the talent, getting the best out of everything and working to a common goal. Because, again, one of my frustrations have been this idea that every sort of feels like every club and, and like this goes down to club level as well. Hmm. Everyone's working to their own goals. Everyone's working to their own self-interest. And and unless you, you're willing to give – I think you have two options. You're able to go full free reign and just say, all right, clubs – we go to a private model where the clubs just let them, you know, sort themselves out. Every, everyone else kind of just returns to a proper game and just let it go from there. Or we go to this full centralization, everyone working to the right goal and everyone – you know, sharing ideas, thinking down the same sort of pathway, singing from the same hymn book. And when you kind of compare it to, I think it's just the way forward. And, you know, if there can be a way where you can keep some level of independence where the clubs can have their own say and can lead that real push towards, you know, the best commercial practices and, you know, with the knowledge that they've accrued over this time, I think it's only sort of makes sense to make this process a lot more kind of smoother and more effective. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so as well. And I think the Reds are going about this the right way. It's, it's they've made it incredibly clear. It's it, again, it is again a, a moment where you actually side with a with a, with the governing body, um, in in some way, shape or form. And it's it's I, I think that the, if you're going to be able to market, if you're going to market a Queensland Reds game, it's better to do it in if if you're a Queenslander who knows the audience. Um, similar to if you're a Brumby. Uh, if you if you work at Brumbies HQ and you need to market to the to the to the folks in Canberra, um, I think that it's it, it, I do kind of see the argument and the and the and the point that a lot of um, people make that you know the approaches that we that we see in other countries like for example using this sort of model that kind of the Reds are p- uh, pivoting towards which seems a bit similar to the New Zealand model where you have players centralised but the actual clubs still retain their own autonomy in terms of marketing and getting the story out there and being independent. Um, in terms of from that sort of perspective, uh, but and that we should try something new. But I mean, it, I see the merit in going in this direction and having players centralised and the actual clubs themselves uh, being able to actually market to their audience that they know. Uh, I feel like if it's a case of if the, uh, it, you hopefully see great results on the field with players centralised, and if people if these if these clubs know how to market to their audience, it'll hope be hopefully be a case of build it and they'll come. A bit more in in a sort of way because they are still at the end of the day one of the positives of these five franchises is that they are most of them especially you know at least I can speak for the Force Brumbies Reds and and uh, and Waratahs are very established brands in their in their respective cities mm. um, they have an established audience yeah the only thing I'd add to that is the um you see some of the talking heads running around from you know a certain part of the eastern suburbs of Sydney carrying on about, you know, we're better off with four clubs and all that, four teams and all that sort of stuff. Just miss me with that. I mean, we've got way too much talent that is playing in Australia and overseas um, and now for other countries. If you're not telling me we don't have enough, then you're not doing it properly and get out of the way and let other people who can do it better in. Agreed. Yeah, like there is, I think whenever people make the depth, the, the, that depth argument that we don't have enough depth for, for, for five mm. teams, I'm like, well, no, <coughs> you actually do. When you, then you, you actually see the talent that's that's the Australian talent that's circling mm. around Planet Rugby, or even yeah. in the squads, and you're like, well, no, there's some good players in the, in all of those squads. Yeah. Well, it, funnily enough, on the weekend there were four very good Australians playing in the Ireland Scotland game. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, God, Mac Hansen, the one that got away, and pl- yeah. plus more. Lord yeah. knows. 
Well, with that in mind, let's move on to our final piece of news, and that is a new segment that I'm now going to call Eddie Watch. Uh, because now that we the Wallabies are over, it's really a case of well, what the hell is happening with Eddie Jones now? And unfortunately, there's been a lot of news circling around Planet Rugby, especially in the last you know couple of hours, that uh, basically news sources out of Japan are saying that he's officially a shoe, he's pretty much a shoe in for the Japan job. Um, and even though he's given assurances to to Rugby Australia that he's going to stay on for the Wallabies, Nathan, where the fuck do we start here? <laughs> Where do we start? That's a very good, a very good question. Um, <laughs> like, like, like I've said in in, a, in past pods, like I was again 100% backs backing. You know that initial story from Tom that he had the interview. I don't think that's something he would lie about or make up. Um, but now that you have this sort of Japan link as well, and becoming a lot more, you know, seeing a, a lot more of their publications printed and run with it just way too much smoke isn't there like where this isn't a a one-off report anymore this is now you know the smoke is billowing and you know starting to really build and that's a if if we get to we're getting to that stage where you start thinking is this tenable if you again and i sort of echoed on on past pods would like i'd like to eddie stay and work his way through this but I just don't see how he can. Like, if this if this continues and you keep seeing these Japanese links, I don't know. I don't know if he will. I just you just you'd have no any sort of assurance that you had and trust. You know, listening to him to say, you know, I'm committed. A lot of the commitments were just very, very. I'm on. We're on to the next one. We're on to the next one. We're on to the next one. That's my commitment. You now look at more reports coming out. It's very tough to kind of. But you're putting if you're putting a market together and saying, is he going to be here next year? God, it's it's looking more likely that he won't than he will, and that's just that, that's no that's no insider information. That's just me kind of re- understanding how a lot of this works, you know, seeing seeing all the reports and kind of understanding how how it all works. And you just kind of get that sense of they might this might be sort of this might be it, Freddie. It's a it's a really sort of weird situation to be in where I don't think anyone actually knows a hundred percent what's going on. It's just a case of trying to putting pieces, you know, putting two and two together and hoping it still answers four. It's, it's a, it, it is a weird one. And on top of it, I feel like this whole thing, if it is in fact a, not true, the fact that Eddie's been so – it goes back to a point that you made a few weeks ago when we were, on, when we were chatting with Nutter. If you're going to – why lie about it if it's not true? Or if that's the case, why be so smoke and mirrors about it? Um, because – address the issues head on. If it's a bunch of bullshit, address it head on and call it out as such categorically. If there was a meeting, confirm it. Say that there was, because by the sounds of it, we can only take it at him at his word saying, I'm committed to coaching Australia. I'm committed to coaching Australia. And then you hear something contradictory. Uh, in You hear something contradictory in the papers. Um, explain it. Help us, help us out here because we do because us in the public, in the in with the who can only see what you do and what the papers uh, the papers do at face value, we can't go any further than that. We don't have any further information, um, and it looks fucking bad <laughs> from our points. Mm. Yeah, I mean if he if he'd have come out and in that initial press conference and said, look, I had a I had a chat to Japanese rugby because. I've got an ongoing relationship with them. I have had for a long period of time. They asked my opinion and I gave it to them, but I am not, I'm not applying for the job and I am not, I'm not going, I don't want the job and I am committed to Australian rugby. The the story would be over, but he's just done the mealy mouth politician speak of I'm committed to Australian rugby. I'm com- I'm contracted. He's not said I want to stay and fix the problem. So in my view, He's probably gone, and and to your point, no, no, no I think his um, his position is quickly becoming untenable. Um, but the thing is, from a commercial perspective, does he does he have the honour to actually go? You know what, I quit and walk away from his contract, or is he going to try and get a payout, which obviously Australian rugby can't afford? Mm. You can't. Afford, I think. I think if he's saying I'm committed to coaching Australia, he might be inviting rugby Australia to say. And here's the thing: we have to speculate right now. Mm. We're, we're we're plunging the hands into the shit, 
mm. and having to talk this uh, talk about this sort of discussion. But maybe he's saying I'm committed to to Australian rugby essentially to say, well, if I'm not if I'm not making a move, you have to. Yeah. Um, which yeah. is a terrible look, and it's something that again the governing body can't afford. And how bad would it look if we have to pay out two coaches, head coaches inside of 12 months? Mm. Um, and, one, and one, who, one of whom would and have a CEO, out to be an man. Mm. And mm. a CEO, yep. and yeah, just it's it would it would be appalling. It would be an appalling, mm. embarrassing look for the game. But mm. keeping with Eddie Watch, by the by rumours of it, I think you Nathan in the last podcast you'd mentioned that he was going to do a barbarians. He was going to do a stint with the barbarians, but apparently he's coming home, Eddie's coming home to Australia um, at the presently so in time for this November review. So you may see more. Potentially. I, I think that, yeah, the, I think the Barbarians too are later in the year that he might sort of get himself involved with. But on, honestly, things break that often. By the time this pod's out, we might have completely changed as well. Like, it's just such an unknown at this point. Oh, I know. I just checked my Instagram as we were going. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's how, fast quickly mo- how fast quickly news moves. But what I can promise you, everyone, is that the quarterfinals will remain unchanged between now and when this podcast drops. Um it's been a, I'm, I'm super excited for this upcoming weekend. Again, Wales playing Argentina, Ireland playing New Zealand, England playing Fiji, and France playing South Africa. What a great, what a great time to be a rugby fan, excluding the Wallabies bullshit. But what a great time to be a rugby fan. Uh, and it's it's just great to see. Uh, it's just great to see that uh, that we've got as close a rugby World Cup as we were promised. Kyle, that's how well the game is actually doing internationally when you when you peer away from the Australia, the, the burning house that is Australian rugby right now. All right. Well, I think that'll wrap us up for this episode of the podcast. First of all, thank you so much, Happy. Been an absolute pleasure chewing the fat with you, and uh, you're welcome back anytime. Pleasure to be involved. Indeed. And for everyone listening, make sure you go and check out Happy on Gagger, of course, where this pod, where you can also catch this podcast. And Nathan. Keep relaxing and keep being happy out in in beautiful France. I've got two two exciting quarters to go go to here in Marseille, and then on to Paris for the, the big game. So, mate, can't wait. It's going to be an awesome couple of weeks. Before before I let you go, I'm going to hold you to uh, taking a photo of you eating escargot on the dropped kickoff Twitter and posting it because uh, I need to see you take it. I need to see it happen. Done. <laughs> we'll make we'll make sure it happens when we get to Paris. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a really silly question. You know, rugby's a game of 15 players on the, on the field. When we're attacking, we're attacking weak defenders. We're looking for weak defenders. Why would we run at the strongest defenders? So if Martin's there and, and sorry, what's your name? Nick, and Nick's there, we're not going to run a Martin, are we? <laughs> Guys, can you just send my best wishes to Warren? Make sure he enjoys the third and fourth playoff. <laughs>